don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. 57% of Americans don't know this. But Instagram is owned by Facebook, of course. We interviewed each other for a very special edition of Social Minds, talking about some of the major news stories that have happened in 2019 so far. Yeah, we covered things like Facebook's new meme hub called LOL, um, Mark Zuckerberg's yearly challenge, Instagram's bot scandal, and of course, the very controversial Gillette advert. They actually bring out an advert that says, let's treat women better, let's be all for equality. And they have a pink tax on their products, which means that um, a lot of their normal raises for women's, they're about three or four pound more. So it's like, put your money where your mouth is. All this and more coming up. Wow, I can't believe it. It's 2019 and here we are again, Eve, on Social Minds. But it's a special sort of edition of Social Minds, isn't it? Because it's just me and you, yeah. usual host speaking about what's gone in, in social. So the, the thing which strikes me about 2019 is we're like... Well, it's Blue Monday today, so about 20 days into 2019, 21 days, I think. And yet, so much has happened. Yeah, it feels like more has happened this January than happened in like December, November put together. Yeah. It's crazy. So we're going to talk about that and dissect a few of these things and see what's gone on. And the first major one is a story that broke over the weekend, which was LOL. Yeah. So what have we got to say about LOL? Because this is, well, first and foremost, for people who haven't heard about it, this is... Facebook have come out and said they are testing a feed for the news feed, mm. which only pulls in GIFs and memes and funny pictures and all sorts from like the news feed mm. from the top 100 or, or so meme publishers in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently they're only testing it with like a really small group of users in America at the moment. And it's not clear whether it's going to be um, like a little feed within Facebook itself mm. or if it's going to mm. get its own standalone app, which I think would be quite a bold, like ballsy move for something mm, quite I'll so say, new, yeah. giving it a standalone app. So they'll probably test it in Facebook itself first um, and sort of see how it does and see how it performs amongst this like focus group first. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because... It's a strange one. It is. It is a strange one, but it sort of, it feels to me like Facebook's now grasping at straws to mm. try and just claw mm. that young user base back in as many ways as it can. Like it sees people interacting and following um Instagram pages, like meme pages on Instagram and seeing how well they do. And it's saying, well, maybe we need to have a little look at that and try and get a piece of that back on Facebook itself. I'd agree, because they, they really want to tap into this teen market back on Facebook, which is sort of at loggerheads with what we thought. We thought, okay, maybe it's come to a point where Facebook is now the old fine wine, it's aged and stuff, and Instagram's the new youthful thing. But Because the other thing as well is this is at loggerheads with something that we've spoken about a lot on this podcast, which is that Facebook really have this focus on meaningful engagement. Mm. And by Facebook's definition, memes, GIFs, it's not, it's not all that meaningful no. in terms of, you know, let's all join a group and have a, you know, a, a detailed discussion about something. It's, no, uh, no. But as, as Mike said, I think meaningful engagement, we've 
sort of sussed was a bit of a ruse for just trying to increase the value of ads on mm, Facebook. Mm. Um, but like Mike said, the numbers speak for themselves. People decide what is meaningful. People decide what engagement matters the most. And the reality is that people are still engaging with memes and funny videos. And that is what is getting the most engagement right now. Mm, so for Facebook so to completely true. disregard, that would just be daft. But at the same time, I have not that much confidence that this is the right step for them because they need to accept if they're going to have Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger mm. under their belt. You know, Instagram can be for the young people and Facebook needs to find its own USP. Yeah. It can't yeah. just piggyback off Instagram's success. I completely agree. It does seem like a backwards sort of move in more ways than none. And while we're on the subject of Facebook, obviously, we've got to talk about one of the big stories in January, which is Mark Zuckerberg, his yearly challenge. Mm. Now, he's obviously come out and he's said uh, to the press and to whoever's listening that his challenge for 2019 is going to be to engage tech communities, to speak to people and to speak about the, you know, the benefits of tech and the opportunities. And he's going to do this on uh, forums and, and sort of like platforms and conferences mm-hmm. because Mark Zuckerberg is somebody, as we know, a CEO of Facebook, he's, he's sort of, you know, whilst he's at the forefront of the company, he's always in the shadows a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he doesn't like addressing the press. He turned down the opportunity to speak in front of British MPs and give mm-hmm. evidence like he did in front of Congress. So this is sort of turning the leaf, but, you know, as I'm sure you'll say, we, we sort of see this as being a bit of a, the main question is, is it a bit disingenuous? Is it a bit of a PR play? Does he actually mean these things? I, I think it's um, it's sort of his last chance. Because mm. like, like you said, yeah, he has until now preferred to sort of stay in the sidelines and he's said it himself. He's... Uh, not been that keen to put himself out there and he's just preferred to let Facebook's like good work speak for itself um, but after last year obviously that you know it can't it can't speak for itself anymore not everything went horribly no. horribly wrong horribly. for them and they need a spokesperson and who's more passionate about it than Mark Zuckerberg so he said he's going to actually start hosting public debates at which he'll speak and he's going to invite people on and sort of by starting that conversation, I guess it means that he's taking an active interest in ensuring mm, technology mm. is doing something good or at least acknowledging his role in the fact that it's maybe not having as good an impact mm, as mm. he'd have hoped. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how how genuine it is. He's allowed himself to be a real sort of, it was a real character assassination in 2018, I felt. And I felt yeah. like he didn't, both he and Shel Sandberg, it didn't really come out and engage people in a sort of, okay, let's put our hands up. It was always about deflecting blame and, and you know, it was it was because of this and it was because of that. And it was quite strange. And even in, I, I saw some of the videos where he was in front of Congress and even then he looked a little bit, I don't know, like, like a smart aleck, I want to say, you know, he was a bit sort of... Quite, I think he looked nervous. Yeah. I think he looked really, really nervous. And like the state of like abuse he's been getting it's no wonder he's been scared to put himself out there in the past but I kind of you know if anything even if it's not with the best intentions I I do admire his sort of bravery and putting himself out there Mm. at this particular time because it's the most difficult time he could have picked the climate's so intense like it's not gonna be easy for him but hopefully it'll help um, change people's opinion of him if not for Facebook one of the things I did notice about his personal challenges, and I think we both touched on this before, is um, 
how they've sort of changed over the years. So it's gone from wearing a tie every day to yeah. saying hello to a new person who doesn't work at Facebook to learning yeah. Mandarin. Yeah, it's like visit to... all the states in America is one of them. And so, he bought, yeah. uh, he built like, that AI for his house. It was like a bucket, you know, it was like a really nice bucket Crypto list. And oh, this is hilarious. And, you know, learn Bitcoin. And then suddenly you get 2018, it's like, Fix Facebook 2019, address the, the public about the problems and opportunities yeah. facing tech. You yeah. know, I don't know what 2020 is going to be. It's I, gonna feel be like... Like, I feel like this year's though is in such contrast to last year because last year he vowed that he was going to fix Facebook's problems. Which completely that didn't, didn't happen. happen. And now it's like he's accepted that he can't fix it. So he's just going to go and talk about the fact that it's bad. Mm. And even by like, mm. acknowledging that it's bad, he thinks it's going to make it better. But... I'm not sure. It's interesting to see what comes out of that. And I'd like to see, you know, if he if he does sort of stick to that. Mm. Um, there was I think a quote. Their, um, their, their podcast as well. That's, that's going to be yeah. part of it. Or it feels to me like it's part of it. Because um, if you look at the description of the podcast, it's all about um, explaining technology's role mm. Uh, mm. in society and sort of analysing the effects that it has on people's well-being and behaviour and things like that. Mm. It's got some really big names on it. It looks really interesting. But the fact that that's such new territory for them mm. feels like it's part of that wider conversation, just bringing it out into the public and putting Facebook's name behind it. 100%. And this this is sort of on the back of it as well as, you know, we talk about the emotions, slightly off piece, but Snapchat, uh, I think we both saw it, did a uh, study recently where it was saying uh, they sort of indexed the emotion that people feel when they're using each platform. Mm. So I think Snapchat was sort of, you know, it make, makes people feel playful and entertained. And some of the feelings that were cropping up in Facebook were those of anxiety and sort of exclusion and, and stuff like that. So it's definitely got, you know, with regards to that emotion, a big sort of challenge to to turn the tide, I think, yeah, with definitely. that. Yeah, It might even be another reason why they're looking into uh, LOL yeah, and bringing all yeah, these, like, exactly. meme stuff back. They just want people to start having fun on Facebook, but I don't which know if it's Which, once upon a time, we did, which was yeah. funny. You know, in the great great old days of Mafia Wars and stuff like that. Yeah. Good, yeah. <laughs> and then we go back to um, Instagram now. So, obviously, well, 57% of Americans don't know this. But Instagram is owned by Facebook, of course. Yeah. And I think it's mad that that many people don't know. It's, it's crazy, but we can't decide on this because in one way we're like, oh, have we got the blinkers on because we work in social media mm. and be, just because we know these things to be true? Or, you know, is is that like a massive kind of stat? Because I think it's like that's really, really useful to Facebook to know because, you know, while Facebook has taken all the flack and all, all of this, Instagram has been able to sort of get off scot-free, mm. really. Yeah. We thought, now we have the scandal, well, I say scandal, it's not as big as some of the scandals that have happened, but it is nevertheless a scandal mm. a few weeks ago that Instagram have still, despite coming out and saying that they're going to have a big bot purge and there's going to be a big war on these fake accounts that sort of tout engagement so you can get 500 likes for $1.99 or whatever, now, they've said they're going to stop all of this from happening because there was a big problem with influencer fraud. Mm. And yet we discovered a few weeks ago by way of a TechCrunch investigation that Instagram has still been selling ads to these bot farms that yeah. are advertising free likes, free engagement, will follow people yeah. to follow you back automatically on your behalf. Yeah, the hypocrisy coming out of that one is just like unbelievable. Because in uh, it was November that they said they were going to start penalising accounts that bought fake followers. They were going to start penalising um, people who were, who were selling them. But... Um, They've actually been selling ad space to these accounts 
that are, that are selling crazy. that are selling the ads. So they're actually making money off their presence on the platform. So it's no wonder they don't want to get rid of it. But it just mm. comes back to what we suspected before. Like when they come out and say they're going to get rid of all these accounts, they're not actually going to do it that much. They're barely making a dent in it when they get rid of mm. it, like a couple hundred mm. thousand. They're barely making a dent in it. And for them to actually get rid of every single bot account or fake account on their platform is going to impact their numbers and their bottom line so severely it, it's just not going to happen like it's not in their best interest to do so but for them to come out and say they're actually making money or not even come out they've found out to be earning yeah, money yeah, from exactly. that and selling ad space to them and then actually penalizing the people who respond to those ads yeah, yeah. yeah the hypocrisy was um yeah it's it's such a massive irony in a way and and it is true, I think, what this TechCrunch journalist said who led the investigation, because he, he he said that he led it out of just being bombarded with these ads for yeah. free engagement, and they've got all these names like BuzzLogic and this and that. Mm. And, you know, he said, you know, rightfully so, it shouldn't take a journalistic investigation no. to highlight these massive problems because they were there in broad daylight. No, it shouldn't. That, and it's just, you know, the fact that, okay, it's one thing to be a bot farm you know, on Instagram, first of all, regardless, it's the second thing for Instagram to be selling ad space, like you said, ad yeah. space to these accounts. And, you know, effectively broadcasting this sort of situation to more and more people. And one of the big issues that we've touched on, you know, the problem of this and what every marketer will say is it is influencer fraud. And there's people who are on Instagram who want to be influencers and they're saying, whoa, mm. amazing, 100 engagements for $5 or whatever, something ridiculous. Mm. Of course you're going to, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this. And because we know how hard it is to grow on Instagram, you know, we're not condoning this by any means, but you can see the thought logic that people do. And when you yeah. serve by those ads... The temptation is just there, it isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, what, what do you expect if you dangle something in front of someone like that? Of it's course gonna people go. are going to yeah, go for it. They course. know that. I mean, we, we and one of the things as well is, you know, a lot of people will know about Likewise by now, which yeah. is the AI-led uh, tool that we set up to highlight influencer fraud. And I remember one of the conversations that came around the time was because it wasn't a month later that Instagram said, like you said, in November, we'll be taking more steps to purge the internet. We'll be, yeah. we'll be doing this. We'll, we'll announce this war on, on bot accounts ourselves. And I've, I've, I think many people had the question is, okay, then we've got this tool. How do we differentiate ourselves from Instagram if they're going to do yeah. the same? And clearly this has highlighted the importance of agencies having their own third oh, party. Yeah. It, it lies software. in the motive. The platforms can only do so much, but like I said, they're going to be putting their bottom line first, That's always. It. That's it. Absolutely always. What, what I don't understand is, so after this investigation came out, um, the person who was leading it said they got confirmation from Instagram that they'd taken those adverts down, they'd responded to it. Mm -hmm. And like you mm -hmm. said, it shouldn't take an investigation to point that out. Like They'll know it's there. Not and like we or anyone who's used their ads manager will know it's so easy for something to get flagged or disproved for mm. the smallest thing mm. like profanity mm -hmm. too much text in an image something as small as that and they'll flag it no problem mm. so there is mm. absolutely no way I believe that these just slipped under the radar when well, they're course. in clear violation of Instagram's own policies it's so it's so blatant definitely isn't foul it? Yeah, play. Something, definitely. something wrong is going on there and it's exactly how I think our, our ops director Paul Stevens summed it up best that you can mark your own homework no. which is essentially what Instagram said they were going to do with this sort of bot purge and this yeah, is just course. brought it out in the open of so course. it'd be interesting to know what happens with that because there's also mm. been a bit more news on that and that a lot of these top Instagram accounts or a lot of top influence accounts as a result of this purge I think I saw a stat that many the majority have said 
that they've not noticed any difference really. No. There's there's no. not been any, you know. No, a lot of people that we know in influencer marketing have said the same. There are if you're in the industry and you know influencers well and you know what to look for mm. when engagement is fake, you'll know who is not playing by the rules. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so people who are keeping tabs on those influencers have been able to see since November how their numbers are being impacted and it hasn't made a dent. They're still doing very, very well. They've left they've lost like the absolute minor amount mm. that they could have done. Um so yeah, it, it just goes to show the numbers don't lie. But I think um, I think Mark Zuckerberg has to be very, very careful with Instagram and Adam Missouri as well has to be very careful because if they yeah. want to keep Instagram out of this negative spotlight mm -hmm. and help mm -hmm. them get away scot-free still and distance them from Facebook's own scandal, they, they need to not make the same mistakes with Instagram that they have made with Facebook course, in the past. It can't be a poisonous or spammy place. So no. I think the main question we had here as well was, you know, is, is Instagram equipped to, you know, fighting uh, bot accounts and stuff like that. And at the moment, we'd say it's not. No. You know, it, it's it's up to third parties and, you know, and software providers to, to yeah. do that job, which yeah, shouldn't definitely. be the case. But then we bring, so then, we, so then we've got Instagram and then we come on to an, another platform that we don't often talk about. And that's Twitter. Yes. And I know you are a massive advocate for Twitter. I love and you Twitter. always have been. And it's... You get the feeling, and I'm sure it's fair to say this, and I'm sure a lot of tech insiders will say the same, but it's having something of a res resurgence at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll give some context on this. If we go back a few years ago when nothing was really happening with Twitter, yeah. it was just there. Even you know. last year. Even last noticed year, yeah. when, uh, when we were doing Cut the Bullshit magazine, Twitter had so little updates and, so, like, nothing of substance that it wasn't even featured. There it's was nothing absolutely about. nothing to report, no. Not at all. But it not seems that since 2019's come along, they are just going for such a strong start. It feels like at the Definitely. moment it's going to be quite a big year for them. In some sense, yeah, you're right. There was nothing to talk about. There was the one thing, I suppose, which was the broadcast rights that they were signing up and mm. the BuzzFeed and stuff like that. Yeah. But again, when we talk about social, I suppose that's more of a media perspective, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. In, in the social. And, you, and because of that, you got this sense that Twitter was trying to, and I think they even came out and said at some point that they were trying to distance themselves from social media yeah. to instead become a sort of media publishing platform and that's clearly yeah. not happened because uh, you know as we were speaking before this conversation it's now a much wider focus on the quality of messaging and the health yeah. of public conversation yeah. and I think that's a really wise move for them because it did worry me at first when they started um, turning their attention to video it felt like they were just trying to play catch up with Facebook yeah. and I think Twitter's um, sort of saving grace has always been the fact that they are so clear on their own USP. They know what their users come to Twitter for. It's mm -hmm. to get news. It's to talk about things that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. And the more that they focus on features that actually aid that purpose, the better they'll do. So when they came out with Periscope and live video, it was mm -hmm. like, okay, that's mm -hmm. a nice addition, but it's not what they should be um, focusing most of no. their time on. So I think they seem to have been um, getting the hang of that a bit more now. Completely. And um, hopefully that'll do them well. Some of these new features that we've got, incidentally, so we just saw it this morning that the new user interface is rolled out for people. So there's a new UI on desktop yeah. and that translates to mobile as well. Some yeah. people have it, some people don't. But it's also, uh, well, first of all, this falls under the umbrella of one of the biggest updates, which they've said is a public uh, sort of beta mm. platform where they're going to be testing different uh, platform tweaks and updates, but in yeah. plain sight. So... 
Again, a bit of context, most people know this, but for those who don't, platforms usually have these beta programs that they test sort of behind closed doors. It test little features and then they sort of get mm. leaked here and yeah, there. Yeah, they're normally really small as well. And, and Twitter's is actually quite quite big. They're actually releasing yeah. it to quite a large amount of users. Um, I'm not sure if it's just in the US, but I think it is. Um, so yeah, they've got all these new features like the color coding of threads mm. and the new state status updates, um, all to sort of be part of conversations and, and sort of like organized replies and things mm-hmm. like that to improve mm-hmm. the quality of conversation, make it easier for people. Um, but I think it is a really, really clever move actually for them to involve the users so early on in the process mm-hmm. because Jack mm-hmm. Dorsey's been saying for a while that he wants to improve the health of the platform, wants to place a bigger emphasis on transparency and he's being very open with users and get people more involved. So this is a nice like actionable uh, result from that. It shows he's actually doing what he said he would do. Um, and when you look at things like Snapchat's massive redesign where they just sort of did it all behind closed doors mm. and then put it out there when it was ready to massive, massive backlash, mm. you can't help but think if mm. they'd have involved people earlier on in the process and got people's thoughts, it mightn't have turned out so horribly wrong for them. Completely agree. So when, the, when you're looking at these massive big updates that are actually going to really change the way a platform works. I think, yeah, it's definitely really clever to get people's thoughts quite early. It's human nature that we that we don't like change in a way, isn't no. it? And it's like, I feel like when you make such a massive change as Snapchat did, you've got to assume that the majority of the population of your user base are going to absolutely hate it. Mm. Because it's that it's like getting a new phone, isn't it? You've got yeah. to get used to it. Yeah. You've got to find out where this is. And it's all, you know, it takes a few weeks before you've sussed it out. Yeah, definitely. Even so the new you, UI, people are like, oh, oh, I don't like this. What's going on? It's like the most gone, minor yeah. changes. But, exactly. But yeah, you're right. People don't like change at all. Well, um, what I'll be interested to to see, though, is how this will actually help to improve the conversation on Twitter. Mm, so that's, that's mm. their sort of end goal, is to make it a healthier place for people to spend their time. Um, but it's one of those things like the platform can do as much as it can mm. but at the end of the day how much control do they really have over what people do on the platform you can't stop people being trolls can exactly. you a, tr- a troll's not going to stop being a troll because of a new UI yeah. or the only way I can see this happening is the colour coded replies do people then become more accountable for their comments and more easily identified in threads but I mean yeah, perhaps that's a sort of you know, that's a bit of a utopian dream that we probably have for Twitter. But <laughs> another side to the story as well with the platform is that it's become profitable. Yeah. And it was in, uh, I saw this, it was in Q4 2017. And I actually remember this happening. Um, they posted their first profitable quarter. I've got the numbers down here. So they had to wait 12 years. They made $91 million in profit and $732 million in revenue. Mm. And that was the first time in 12 years that it posted a profit. And then since then, it seems to have had this trajectory. And this is all despite... Um, Twitter conducting a bot purge of its own. Mm. So it got rid of loads of fake accounts and spammy accounts mm. and closed off a few third party. I think that's actually um, done apps. it really, really good. The, the, the amazing thing in a way is that Twitter, they seem to, you know, you can read reports about, okay, the user base hasn't grown. You no. know, they've, they've lost followers and whatnot. But actually the followers that they have yeah. are valuable and there's more revenue per person on there. They're more engaged. They're using it more often. So... You know, in a funny way, and this is sort of like, you know, a perfect storm of things, I suppose, because this, is, this is, doesn't happen often. The user numbers have gone like that. I mean, we're talking about user numbers, inauthentic users and fake users yeah. often have gone like that, but profits have gone like that. Yeah, and that's quite rare. And exactly, talking well, exactly, about Instagram, yeah. that, that wouldn't happen for Instagram, but it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. Uh, like Twitter's biggest problem, or the only problem, has always been these trolls and fake accounts. If yeah. they can tackle that, um, it kind of makes perfect sense that, 
the investors and stuff will be more interested. Massively. And it'll, it will be a better place for people to spend their time. Apparently their stocks are actually really high at the moment. I've seen that, yeah. I've, I saw, I think it was Bank of America, their investors actually put a sort of buy rating on Twitter encouraging mm. um, stakeholders and stockbrokers to start buying into yeah. Twitter and buying up Twitter's stock. Um, and partly the reason that they said is that was down also to, you know, more 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 teen users, more of a sort mm. of, you know, coming together of the sort of youth communities on yeah. Twitter. And That's all of something that. else about Twitter as well. I think it's it's quite rare that you'll find really, really young people on there mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and really, really old people, people of all ages, and they're all using it the same way. Exactly. Um it as doesn't well it doesn't have that same divide. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know much about um stock markets, but if you look at the fact that Facebook and what well, Mark Zuckerberg's having to like warn his investors yeah. um about, you know, all the numbers aren't gonna be great, but it's okay and Twitter's just there doing really well exactly it's a bit of a changing of the t- like, uh, tides completely we were going to talk about the uh, Gillette advert but I believe we're running out of time so let's oh, no. let's let's quickly let's quickly sort of uh, share our thoughts on that so this obviously came out a few weeks ago it's the best men can be uh, from the agency Grey and Gillette obviously being a P&G brand people have been really divided about their opinions with this a lot of people have said it's uh emasculating men which i don't really understand um a lot of people say it's 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 good because it's highlighting the toxicness of masculinity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so i'm keen to know in a nutshell what you think about this and what your response was to seeing it so my initial response was quite positive i was like amazing you know it's really really rare that you see adverts um, that tackle men-specific societal mm, issues. Mm. There's a lot about uh, female-centric adverts. There's a lot of messaging targeted at women in that way. That we're sort of used to it, but it's quite rare that it comes out for men. And even though I think there's a few things they definitely could have done better, I'm not sure how I feel about the whole men queued up in front of a barbecue. I yeah, think it's a little bit stereotypical. Bit kind of, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a good first start. And I always think, you know, if even if Gillette wasn't maybe best place to do it this time, maybe it's a step in the right direction mm, for brands in mm. general to bring that conversation forward. You've got to crack a few eggs to make an omelette kind of deal. Of course, um, yeah. But I think the main problem with this one doesn't really lie with the messaging. I think people are getting too caught up in whether it is patronising or emasculating or generalising. I think what we need to be looking at is, was it a brand's place mm, to have that conversation mm. in the first place, things like bringing Me Too into it. Yeah, and you yeah. look at Gillette's history, they actually you know, bring out an advert that says, let's treat women better, let's be all for equality. Mm. And they have a pink tax on their products, which means that um, a lot of their normal raises for women's, they're about three or four pound more. Mm, so it's like, you put your money where your mouth actually, is. Yeah. People just need to look into it and see that actually maybe it wasn't that authentic and they were just trying to jump on the bandwagon. So it's definitely yeah, just deciding whether or not they were um, they had any place to have that conversation. But I don't think um, cause marketing is, um, you know, it's not worth this amount of backlash. It's just an no. advert at the end of the day. It goes back to, yeah, like you just said, cause marketing. It goes back to this brand's putting themselves to sort of, you know, societal causes and 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 whatnot and of course you know it got up the feet of Piers Morgan who said you know you you Gillette raises all my entire life and I'm going to stop now it's all PC guff you know he's got his war on veganism he's got his war on um, masculinity people were chucking their raises in the toilet you know what that reminded me of even at the Nike Colin Kaepernick advert which was brilliant but people were still burning their Nike shoes which is just people will get offended about absolutely anything at the end of the day it's just an advert but 
like I said, I don't know if Gillette was the right one. If it had come from like a, a younger shaving brand, like Harry's or something, yeah, it might have landed yeah, a bit better. Be a but because like Gillette, you think 30 and but up. They is... have got the, but, but again, they have got the broadest male, male appeal and the broadest audience. So maybe, you know, it is speaking to that wider demographic yeah. and, and you've got to think who is better in, in a place to do it. Whether they sell more razors as a result would be interesting to see. Um, you know, it's obviously been a massive viral sensation, over 21,000 tweets on Twitter, oh, you know, bad. combined with Me Too. Um, when looking at those, that conversation as a whole and over 1.8 million tweets, I think in the first week it was out. That's so, crazy. you know, we'll see what it does for Gillette, but hate to cut it short. But anyway, I'm going to get rid of those notes for a second because I just want to share with... So this has been out a couple of weeks now. This is mm. uh, Forwards, which is the title of Cut the Bullshit Volume 2. So this is a magazine that e mainly Eve um, has been working on and also myself uh, doing a few articles in there and features. This is... Should we explain it in a nutshell? This, this is yeah. basically yeah. a a sort of call to arms for optimism and to address social media's problems and to address 2018, which was, by all accounts, a horrible year yeah. for social. Absolutely. And to really move forward in 2019 Absolutely. and to, you know, work on the solutions, basically. Yeah, so I think the uh, most important thing to note with Cut the Bullshit Volume 2 has been hindsight. So what we didn't want to do was sort of go over and over and over last year's problems, things like time well spent and meaningful engagement, um, the trend of people bringing in-house uh, creative mm -hmm. um, away from agencies, things like that. So rather than dwelling on them and worrying with them, we've actually got interviews from Katie Leeson, our UK MD, um, Roxanne Parker, who is our social media director, Mike Blake Crawford, of course, who's our strategy director, and Oliver Yonchev, um, our US MD. Mm -hmm. And they've all had their two cents on various things. So it's really getting those expert opinions and finding out not just what's happened, but how we can actually take the solution solutions from that Definitely. and apply them to this year and hopefully yeah, move forward. It is a fantastic piece of work and I have to congratulate you publicly Eve on editing <laughs> this because it was brilliant well, and it's a combination of many months of hard work. Yeah I know, blood sweat this, and tears. Exactly, I'm afraid <laughs> this is my personal copy, at least I think it is, but there will be a link to download the full digital version of Cut the Bullshit Volume 2 in the show description of this. So... On please to 2019, enjoy. yes, yeah. please enjoy, thank you very you much, think. yeah, really enjoyed that, right. Let's do it again sometime. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Social Minds podcast with Theo, Eve, and music by Pierre Flass.